Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. It's great to be back. Thank you for uh, praying for us um, last week. I'm glad that uh, you had the opportunity to hear uh, our missionary, uh, David Bledsoe, and I know he preached a good word to you last week, and uh, I got to hear some uh, preaching on the recliner, but uh, I'm glad to be back with you today. Some of you, uh, uh, Karen sent said several of you said we understand we've been there and done that and uh, so we're uh, trusting that that's uh, something we'll not have to experience again we'll see hope hope not Uh, let me invite you to turn your bibles today to luke chapter 9 luke chapter 9 we are in a, a series of messages for those who may be joining us today for your first time in the gospel of luke the gospel of luke and we entitled this series jesus Friend of sinners. And uh, this, um, this passage, Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 40, the Lord Jesus, as we're going to see, this is a very important junction, or juncture, rather, in, the, in Luke's gospel, because it is actually going to be the close of Jesus' uh, ministry in Galilee, in the region of Galilee. He will be moving uh, now with, and, and moving in the direction of the, uh, of the region of Judea on his way to Jerusalem, ultimately to die. There's a great deal of, of the gospel that is uh, committed to that period of time shortly before uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. His ultimate purpose, as we know, uh, for coming was to die. And so this is an important time. So we're going to uh, read our text this morning, Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 46 um, through 50. So if you have your Bible open there, I invite you to uh, read along with me, to stand, if you will, right now. If you're able, please, to stand. We'll read verses 46 through verse 50. And I'm reading from the New King James Translation. It says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him, and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great." Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And from this passage today, I'll bring a message we entitled, The Power of Humility. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your presence today. We pray you'll continue to manifest your presence in our midst as we have opened the word together. And I pray you will speak to our hearts that you will teach us uh, what the, the, this wonderful truth about humility that you illustrated for your disciples. God, and I pray that you will examine our hearts today because, Father, we often are uh, deceived in our own hearts, Lord, when it comes to this matter of pride and, and, and a willingness to humble ourselves before you. So speak to us today, Lord, and reveal where we are in our relationship with you and in regard to our pride and to our humility. 
Lord, just uh, speak to us today. And I pray, Father, for those in our midst today who've never truly repented of sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ, that you would awaken their hearts today to their need, that they must become as a little child, humble themselves before you, and come in repentance and faith to surrender their lives to Christ. Be glorified now is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali uh, famously uh, said, I am the greatest. Some of you who are, uh, are old enough to remember that or have maybe studied in the history books. Um, and, uh, he, and he went on to say, I said that before I knew I was. But he was later uh, stripped of that title for draft evasion. Uh, and of course, some of you know he's still living as far as I know and has, uh, has Parkinson's disease. But he, he often boasted of being the greatest. You know, pride has been called the parent sin. When you look back, where did sin begin? It began uh, ultimately in heaven when Lucifer, we know as Satan and the devil, uh, who, who wanted to be as God. And, uh, and it was his desire to be the greatest, if you will, that, that led to, to his fall and that of the other rebelling uh, angels in heaven we know now as demons. And then it led to the fall of, of humanity in, in the garden when, again, Satan uh, bringing about, about that temptation against them for the same desire he had to be as God. And, uh, and so uh, it's what led to Adam and Eve's fall, and, that, and then that has now passed upon all humanity. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, in this uh, passage of Scripture that we've read about today, uh, Jesus um, uses the opportunity of a, uh, an argument that broke out among the disciples. He used that as an opportunity for a teaching time. And uh, that, that's an important principle. You as parents know that, uh, that, that one of the greatest teaching opportunities we have as parents is, is in the midst of a situation, uh, just in the midst of life. And of course, Jesus was training his disciples, and that's also a discipleship principle. That's again why disciple-making is life on life, that, that it was in the midst of this situation that Jesus took the opportunity to teach a very important lesson about humility, because it was really their pride that led to this whole argument, as we're going to see uh, in, in a few moments. Uh, and so again, we, uh, we, uh, we see in Scripture uh, the dangers of pride, and we also see how important God uh, feels that humility is. In fact, the Bible teaches uh, that we have to humble ourselves uh, and allow God to break our pride before we can even come to God for salvation. People who, uh, who are caught up in religious pride especially uh, never come to God. They, they think they can come to God in and of themselves and that, that they have what it takes. And, uh, and, and, and you see that all throughout the Word of God, and we see it all around us today. Uh, that was the very problem with the Pharisees. That was the very uh, problem with so many people who were religious. And, and religious pride is the worst pride really of all. And it's what keeps many people from coming to a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to humble ourselves and again allow God to break our pride before we can come to him. But even after we do repent of our sin, after we do come and recognize our sinfulness and our wickedness and we repent of our pride, we still have within us, the Bible says, the power of sin. 
And so we still have to deal with that old ugly uh, issue of pride in our flesh and the power of sin within us. It will rise up within us. And we have to understand what it is. We have to see it for what it is. We have to call it what it is and realize it's not who we are in Christ. It's no longer who we are. It's not a part of our identity in Christ and, and, and see it for what it is. And so God, God was using this opportunity, the Lord Jesus, to teach these disciples uh, this important lesson. And again, brokenness over pride will be in each of us a lifelong process that God has to, has to deal with, this sanctification process of making us more like Jesus. So notice from this incident where we find this argument going on among the disciples about who is uh, the greatest, uh, uh, five ways that we are empowered by humility. And by the way, uh, people will not in the world will never describe humility as being powerful, will they? Just the opposite. The world thinks that uh, that uh, that that being uh, uh, powerful means you have to you have to assert yourself. You have to be aggressive. Uh, ha- have you noticed? Uh, have you seen very much humility among anyone running for president? Very little of it, right? Uh, in fact, we see mostly just the opposite. Because that uh, uh, in the world, in the world by the world's standards, that's not the standard of greatness, and that is not what people find attractive, do they? But God finds it attractive, and God is honored by it, and God's attracted to it. So I want you to see again five ways we are empowered by humility. First of all, notice that humility enables unity among God's people. Humility enables unity among God's people. Again, here in verse uh, 46, we find this, uh, this argument taking place, this, uh, this dispute again uh, arose among them uh, as to which one of them was the greatest. Now, I remind you that, of course, just recently, as we've studied the gospel, Christ, the Lord Jesus, has told his disciples what was going to happen, didn't he? He told them that he was going to die, that he was going to be betrayed, and that he was going to be uh, put to death, but that he would be raised the third day. And twice he's done that. And then, of course, three of his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, went with him, as we saw, on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw Jesus in his glorified state. And, uh, and even in that, Jesus was teaching them that, he was not, that his glorified state would not be here upon this earth primarily, and that he was not coming primarily as an earthly king as had been taught for so long and misunderstood about the messianic reign of Christ, but that his uh, kingdom now at least would be a heavenly kingdom, and, and an earthly kingdom, an invisible kingdom in the hearts and, uh, and minds of people, his reign within people. Uh, but again, they still hung on to that idea. They were still believing that Jesus was going to have a literal messianic reign now on the earth, there as, as he was there. He was going to establish that kingdom, and they just didn't really want to accept that matter of the cross, of his death. They wanted the crown. They didn't want the cross. They wanted the crown. They wanted to reign with him. So again, this dispute broke out among them as to which of them would be the greatest. It was kind of like they were saying, now, which one of us is going to have the top cabinet positions? Which one is going to be really the highest? And of course, maybe Peter, James, and John may have said, well, you know, after all, we went with him. And of course, the Bible says they didn't really talk about exactly what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. But they could say, you know, after all, who are his favorites? Who, who goes with Jesus most often? I mean, you know, it's us. And so they were arguing among each other. And, and we see that happening more than once in the ministry of Jesus. Even got Peter, uh, James, and John actually 
uh, got their mom to go say, you know, which one will be on your right and which one on your left? Kind of, we want, I want my boys to have those, that position, Jesus. And so it continued to be a, a desire. And again, uh, it, it's, uh, it, they were on their way now to Capernaum and, and they were having this argument. They were along the way. And so they didn't really think, they were probably kind of doing it under their breath a little bit. They thought Jesus was occupied with something else and not really paying attention to them. And, and of course, Jesus asked them what they're arguing about. And uh, we find that in the other Gospels. And, and he did this to expose their hearts. Uh, and, and, you know, it kind of reminds you of, of God coming to Adam and Eve in the garden to say, where are you? And uh, God knew where they were. But God does the same thing to us. He, he asks us questions to see where we are. And by the way, that's a, a great way to share the gospel with people. Jesus used it often in, in questioning and asking. And so God, Jesus here is asking them where they are to expose their hearts. Uh, but they were embarrassed by it. They knew that this was not the right thing to be dealing with. And, and they knew Jesus' heart. He, they'd been with him long enough to know where he was and what his real motive was. But they still couldn't let go of this desire, uh, this self-seeking attitude in their life. And again, I remind you that don't we deal with the same thing? Don't we struggle with it ourselves? This desire to, to be first, the desire to put ourselves up, the desire to, to be selfish. And again, just recognize it for what it is. If you're a child of God, it is not who you are. It's a part of who you used to be. It's, a, it's your flesh. Recognize that and, real, and call it what it is and, and recognize it not being of God and don't think it's just who you are. It's not if you're a child of God. And so, so Jesus confronted that. And, and, and what was it doing among them? This art? Well, it reveals that it was not right because of what it was doing. What was it doing? It was causing disunity among them. It was causing division among them. And, and, and that's exactly what it does today. Our desire for our, to be first, our desire to have our way, the, the, the my way or the highway attitude, I want my way, I want it to be the way I want it to be, that kind of attitude causes division, causes disunity among the people of God even today. And Paul admonished in Romans 12, 16, he said, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. He said, never be wise in your own sight. And again, in Ephesians, he tells us we are to endeavor, we're to be diligent, if you will, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That means we're to work hard at that. And, uh, and that takes humility. That takes brokenness. That takes putting my desires aside and, and seeking Christ and his desire and what is right in his eyes. Uh, and so this, this uh, uh, humility uh, enables and makes possible unity among God's people. That's the only way Lucy Baptist Church can ever be fully unified is if we are willing to put my way aside and desire God's way. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 because they were so greatly divided. He said, for since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate lost people? You see, they were dividing up according to preachers. You know, I'm of uh, I'm of uh, Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, and some even said, I'm of, we're of Christ. 
And in essence, they were saying, our way is the best way. We're, we're right. He's right. He's the favorite preacher. He's the one we should follow after. And so they were, they were completely splintered and divided. Again, rather than having a spirit of humility, they had a spirit of pride. And they were all wrong. Even those who said, I'm of Christ, had the wrong motive and the wrong attitude uh, among them. And so it is among God's people today. Uh, if we want to experience unity, there has to be humility. Humility produces unity among the people of God. And that was, that was the answer for these disciples who were so greatly divided over this issue as well. But secondly, I want you to see that humility enables us to see ourselves accurately. Humility enables us to see ourselves accurately. Again, uh, the Lord Jesus here in the second part there, verse 46, he, he said uh, they were, they, this dispute was, Uh, concerning which of them would be the greatest. So what did Jesus do? Verse 47, Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart took a little child and set it by him. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew what they were arguing about. He knew what they were thinking. And, uh, and by the way, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. He, he's God, amen. And, uh, and so uh, uh, he enables us, uh, as we humble ourselves before him, to really see ourselves accurately. Because you know what pride does? Pride is, uh, pride is much like that, uh, that mirror at, at the fair, you know? where you go and, and, and you've been those, those, those distorted mirrors when you stand before them. And uh, most of us, uh, we like the ones that make us look skinny, right? Rather than the ones that make us look so big, right? So let's get in front of this one. Oh, I like that one. But you know, the problem with that, those mirrors is they are distorting reality. They're not real. That's not really what you look like, right? And, uh, and so it is with pride. Pride, when we look into the mirror of pride, uh, which is our flesh, which is who we used to be, not who we are in Christ, then we don't see ourselves accurately. Pride uh, blinds us from really seeing what God sees and seeing ourselves even, uh, even the way God sees us. It gives us a distorted view of our image. And so again, these guys, they didn't really see themselves. They weren't really seeing this pride problem they had. They just thought, man, you know, it's right. You, you gotta assert yourself. You gotta push yourself. I mean, and then that constantly, the message the world gives, man, you know, look after yourself. Look out for number one. If you don't do it, nobody else will. You know, that's the spirit. That's the word. You know, your problem is your self-image. Your problem is you just got a poor self-image. You need to love yourself. And that's the message the world gives. But that's not the message God says. Romans 12, 3, Paul said it this way. He said, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly. Now he's talking to God's people, right? Not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, God wants us to see ourselves accurately. He wants us to come before the mirror of the Word of God. That's the true mirror, the Word of God. That's why, again, we need a a daily dose and and, and time with God in His Word so God will reveal to us. James talks about that, about, uh, you know, if we take that just quick glance, um, we walk away and we forget what manner of man we were. So that's why we have to look intently into the Word of God and let God reveal to us the way He sees us. And that takes humility. That says, God, show me what you see. Show me the way I am and reveal to me what I am to be. And so he says, I don't want you to, Paul says, to think more highly than you ought to think. Now, does that mean we're to go around thinking lowly? No, he doesn't want us to think too lowly either. 
He just doesn't really want us to think of ourselves of all. Just, you know, that's the problem. It's all pointing to us. But, but to see accurately the way God sees us and to reveal what God wants us to see about who we are so that he can correct that. And that's, again, why the word of God is so essential. Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition but, uh, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, humility enables us to see ourselves accurately and enable, uh, enables us to see that our real desire is, is to count others better than ourselves, not putting ourselves first, but, but to count others better than ourselves. Again, notice in verse 47, Jesus took this child, some say it may have been Peter's child, uh, close by there, and it had to be a little bitty fella. I, I sort of, uh, I told Hillary if he should have brought Bo in today, and I could have used Bo as, uh, as my illustration today. Could have held him up here. So he just took this little child that maybe just kind of toddling through the house there and took him and just sat him there beside him. And, and we read on in, in uh, I believe it's uh, in Mark's gospel, that he even took him up into his arms. And, and, uh, and so why did he do that? Why did he choose a child? Well, again, uh, it was because of the way people in this day and time especially viewed children. Uh, one writer, Daryl Block, said that in Judaism, children under 12 could not be taught the Torah, the law. And so, and, and to, so to them, spending time with a, a child under 12 was just a waste of time. And, uh, and so, uh, so really, what Jesus is using this child for was to, to help the disciples see the way they should see themselves and, uh, and also to see how, however he thought about this child. Uh, he, he said in, instead of really um, seeing themselves and arguing over their rank, they needed to realize they had no rank. They had no rank at all. Uh, they weren't, uh, you know, they, they weren't even, uh, you know, they weren't even in the military, so to speak. I mean, they were nothing, and they needed to see themselves that way. You think about children. Why would Jesus use uh, a child, a, two, a toddler maybe, or a two- or three-year-old? Well, uh, because, again, uh, they, they, you think about children in the nursery this morning. If you could go back there in the nursery, and I don't know how many we have back there today, uh, but, you know, I guarantee you if you go back there, those uh, children in the nursery are not arguing today over what kind of cars their parents drive. Uh, they are not, they're not talking about, man, I really like those, those designer clothes you're wearing today. And um, where did you get them? Uh, they're not talking about what, what, the, what salaries people make. They're not particularly concerned about what kind of degrees people have, where they, what their education and how far along they are in their education. Uh, they're not concerned about uh, the color of somebody's skin. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, Barclay said it this way. He said, a child has no influence at all, cannot advance a man's career nor enhance his prestige. He cannot give us things. He needs things. He is totally dependent. And that's exactly the way God wants us to see ourselves uh, and, uh, and the way he wants us. And we're going to see there's more to it than that. But, but that's beginning just to understand, to see ourselves accurately. Uh, in Luke, we're gonna, when we get to it in Luke chapter 18, we see that uh, because Jesus, remember that Jesus turned everything around. Again, we talked about how Jesus took people that other people thought were insignificant, uh, including uh, women and, and, and uh, other, other nationalities that the, that the Jews typically look down upon. And one of the things that Jesus did was also treat children as precious. And so in Luke 18, these, uh, these parents were bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless. And, and, so, uh, and the disciples said, what are you doing? 
Get those babies away from him. He doesn't have time for babies. You know, they're not important. But that's not what Jesus said, was it? In fact, in, in, in Luke 18, Jesus said uh, concerning them, he said, let the children come to me and, and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So again, humility, humbling ourselves as a little child, enables us to see ourselves accurately. And I challenge you today, uh, again, come before the Word of God and ask God to enable you by His power to see yourselves accurately and, and, and in regard to the Word of God. And we need to do that every single day because our pride is so deceptive. Our pride will blind us from seeing ourselves how in the way God sees us. And we therefore are cutting short God's process of making us like Christ. Because unless we're willing to humble ourselves before him, then we hinder him from doing this work of making us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, humility, the power of humility, humility enables us to receive others as Christ does. Humility enables us to receive others as Christ does. And notice what Jesus said there in verse 48. He said, um, he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And so, again, humility enables us to receive others as Christ does. And again, Jesus uh, demonstrates how, how, how closely he identifies himself with children. And again, children here, I believe, is a picture of Jesus is saying, this is what you're like. And so it shows how he identifies himself with his children and with his children. Mark, again, adds that he took the child up into his, his arms and uh, indicating, again, the closeness and the care, the relationship. And again, when, why, do, why do we carry our children? Well, sure, we like to have them close, but when they're real small, we carry them because they have to be carried. They either have to be pushing a buggy or they have to be carried. They, they, they're totally dependent. And God wants us to see ourselves in that way, absolutely, totally dependent upon him. And, and again, he, but he went on to say that, that uh, he says, if you in essence, he's saying, if you receive this child, again, representing his children, you receive me. And then he says, if you, if you reject my child, on the other hand, you are rejecting me. And so that, that again, what did Jesus say to Saul on the road to Damascus? Saul, why do you persecute me? The Lord Jesus completely and totally identifies with his children, with his church. Aren't you glad to know that, folks? That he fully and totally identifies with us. He claims us. If you're his, you belong to him. He claims you. He identifies totally with you. And he says, if you, if you reject my child, you're rejecting me. And then he went on to say another important word. If you, if you reject if you receive Jesus, you're receiving the Father. Because why? Jesus is God, and, and they are one. And, and again, if you reject the Lord Jesus, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting the Father. And so again, uh, Jesus went on to explain to us that he is uh, showing us how to receive. And in fact, again, uh, he taught us that, that we have to turn in humility and become like little children to even enter his kingdom. Matthew 18, which is again a parallel passage uh, to, uh, to this passage. He says, uh, uh, and calling uh, to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children or like children, you will never enter the kingdom of 
heaven. So again, to come to him, we have to acknowledge that we are weak, that we are helpless, and that we are absolutely, totally dependent upon him. And again, Jesus is commanding us here to receive and welcome each other in the same way he welcomes us. That, uh, that, that is over and over taught. We've already seen that in other passages. Back when we looked at Romans chapter 15 uh, together, uh, 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 verse 7, it talks about our community with one another. He said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How does Christ welcome us? He welcomes us uh, totally completely, unconditionally. Uh, The Father welcomes us because we are in Christ. When you repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus, you are put into Christ. And so the reason God accepts you today is because you are in Christ. And He fully and and completely accepts the Lord Jesus. And therefore, He fully and completely accepts you. You see, you aren't accepted to God because, uh, because of anything you did this past week. Brother Ben and I went to, to a uh, men's conference the other night, and Brother Kevin Twisdale talked about our identity in Christ. And he talked about that, that very fact that, again, God doesn't accept us on the basis of our works. We're not, we, every one of you here today, I believe, who are part of this family and have heard and been under the gospel for very long would say, oh, yes, I know that, that we're not saved by works. Well, you're not saved by works, and neither are you accepted by works. You're accepted in the Beloved. You're accepted in Christ. Uh, does that mean that so we can go out and sin anyway and do, live any way we want to in the flesh? No, it doesn't mean that because we, we don't want to. we got a new desire in Christ. We want to glorify Him and honor Him. But the Bible says, on the other hand, and Jesus is teaching us here, that's the way we are to accept and receive one another fully and completely and totally in the same way that God has welcomed us. Just like Jesus was receiving this little child, that is how we are to receive one another. And dear friends, listen, that takes humility. That takes brokenness because our flesh doesn't do that. Our flesh rebels against that. Our flesh doesn't want that. Our pride wells up within us and will say, no, I don't accept you because... Because of this and because of that and because of you've done this and, and, and because you're not like me in this way. That's flesh. That's pride. But humility is, is broken. And humility receives by grace in the same way that we are received by grace. So I ask you today, are you, are you accepting others? Have you humbled yourself and are you receiving others uh, as Christ has accepted you? Again, think about Jesus. Jesus lovingly accepted people. Jesus, who was perfect, who was sinless, completely without sin, yet he accepted those who came to him in repentance and faith, tax collectors, everyone hated, a woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman who'd been married five times. And again, he illustrated this in his his parables, like the parable of the good Samaritan and the prodigal son, this grace acceptance. And again, when we come to him, in, in repentance and faith, surrendering our lives to Him, we are fully accepted because we're put into Christ. And again, He calls us to accept one another in the same way. Once again, that takes humility. Have you humbled yourself to accept others? Again, that's what humility leads to. That's the power of humility. Number four, humility enables us to recognize true greatness. Notice again, Jesus went on the last verse there. He said, for he who is least among you will be great. Jesus still embracing this little child. He made this statement about who was 
great, who was truly great. Now, of course, uh, he said it's the one who is least, the one who is the weakest, the one who is the most humble. And again, Jesus, uh, he, he brings together and equates humility with greatness. He said in Matthew 18, 4, again, the parallel uh, uh, gospel, he said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Mark shares these words too in Mark 9, 35, the way we know a humility. He says, and he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Someone said that you know uh, whether or not you are a servant by the way you react when you're treated like one. You know whether or not you're a servant by the way you react when you are treated like one. The Lord Jesus said you have to be willing to be a servant of all. And, and no one, no one demonstrated that like the Lord Jesus did. But again, instead of clamoring for first place, you know, we ought to be, as Scripture says, we're to, to seek to outserve one another. We're to seek to, we, we want the last place uh, and, and, and to be willing to be a servant. And again, no one demonstrated that more greatly than the Lord Jesus. Even the willingness to come to this earth, this sin-cursed earth, uh, and to, to uh, from who was exalted in heaven, but humbled himself, even uh, leaving the glory of heaven to become a tiny embryo in Mary's womb, to be born in that dirty, stinky, smelly animal stable, to live a life of poverty. And then in his, in his ministry, you know, he began his ministry after he had served his family, serving his family and providing for them until that point of 30 as, uh, as he fulfilled his responsibility, in that sense, being a servant. And then becoming, beginning his ministry and all throughout his ministry, what did he do? He, he demonstrated a, uh, the heart of a servant and the life of a servant, a, a bond slave, Scripture says, and, and washing his disciples' dirty feet, taking on that role. And then the ultimate one of all, when the Bible says that he humbled himself as a servant, and he died for us. He became sin for us. Died naked on that cross, identifying himself with the worst of sinners. Why? In order to purchase our salvation. The Lord Jesus demonstrated true greatness in his humility. And uh, so, friend, if you want to be great, the Bible says you have to be willing to be a servant. You have to be willing to humble yourself and serve others. If you want to be like Jesus, then you must humble your Self. Humility enables us to recognize true greatness. You see, again, that's, not, that's exactly the opposite of what the world says. Why, why, uh, why do some candidates uh, attract so many people? Because, again, they, they proclaim their greatness. And, and they attract people because they think they are the greatest. And they want to follow the one they think will be the greatest instead of the one who will be the greatest servant. That's what Jesus calls for among his people, those who are willing to be servants of all. And number five, and finally, humility enables us to avoid exclusivity. Maybe not a word you use every day in your vocabulary, but you see it demonstrated here. John, uh, it sounds like he's changing the subject, but really it's in the context of this conversation. Uh, because he, and John's kind of, uh, at some point when Jesus was not there, uh, you know, they saw something happening. And uh, so John just kind of opens up and tells the Lord Jesus what happened. There in verse uh, there's 49, uh, he said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him. 
because he doesn't follow us. They were out, you know, out one day and they saw this guy and he was casting out a demon. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. And they said, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it right here. You're not one of Jesus' disciples. You don't have the authority to do that. Who told you you could do that? Stop that. You're not one of us. And what did Jesus say? How did Jesus respond? He said, don't stop him. Don't forbid him. Uh, because what does Jesus say here? He said, no. He said, listen, if he, he, he's, uh, he who is not against us is on our side. And, and so, uh, so Jesus is, is teaching them against this spirit of, uh, again, what, what causes this spirit of exclusivity? Of It's just us. Uh, well, it's a spirit of pride. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's us four and no more. Uh, and and so, uh, so Jesus said, no, don't stop him. If he's not against you, he's for you. And again, the word to us is that, again, every believer and every church, when we think about what the, our mission is, it's, it's the Great Commission, right? It's the gospel. It's the same mission Jesus said. He said, he said uh, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So all of us have this mission of the Great Commission. And, and, uh, and again, we should rejoice when Christ is preached, regardless, even if the methodology is different from ours. Christ honors those who honor him. There are many illustrations of that in Scripture. The book of Numbers, for example, gives the account of two elders, Eldad and Medad. And, uh, and so they were, they, these guys went out there, and they were, uh, they, were, they were ministering, they were prophesying independently of the 70 elders that, uh, that Moses had appointed. And so Joshua wanted, again, to stop them from doing that because they, they weren't sent out by Moses. And so how did Moses respond? Moses said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Don't stop them. That's basically what he said. Paul encountered people in his ministry who were preaching. And you read about it in Philippians. Even, even with, he said, even if it's for the wrong motive, Philippians 1.15, he said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, again, that's certainly not to say, folks, that doctrine doesn't matter. There's that attitude and that spirit today, just throw doctrine out the window. It doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. No, dear friend, if you're, if you're wrong about Jesus, you can be sincere all day long. But if you're wrong about who Jesus is, you're sincerely wrong. And so that's certainly not saying that doctrine doesn't matter. And there are those that we, we uh, cannot cooperate with. It, it, because their, their doctrine concerning Christ especially it is wrong and, and maybe fundamental doctrines. But again, we must guard against a spirit of pride, a spirit of exclusivity. And, and uh, again, uh, thinking again that it's my way or the highway. We must have a spirit of, of graciousness and kindness and, and, uh, and point people to the truth of the gospel. And let me give you an illustration of it from, from history. Um, during the 1700s, two men who were greatly used of God in the, in the Great Awakening and in preaching the gospel and revivals uh, in, in our country as well as in Europe, two men were John Wesley and George Whitfield. And uh, you may recognize those names. John Wesley is the, is the founder of uh, the Methodist Church today. And, uh, and so John Wesley is what 
uh, his doctrine was what we would refer to and, and theologians refer to as Arminianism because, uh, because, uh, because of the, uh, the one who basically put that school of thought together or, or organized it. And, and in essence, you know, that, you know, you know one of the differences uh, between uh, Baptist and, and uh, Methodist is we believe in uh, the perseverance of the saints, eternal security. Well, John Wesley taught that. He, he taught that Arminian doctrine. George Whitfield, on the other hand, another, uh, the other great preacher who was a Baptist, is what uh, he was referred to as a, and is still referred to as a Calvinist. And much of our doctrine is, uh, is uh, in our, our belief in, uh, it, by the way, it didn't, Calvin didn't come up with it. It's in the scripture, amen? The doctrine of eternal security. And, but anyway, these two guys, they, uh, they battled it out. And, and, uh, and, and it was known that they were on the opposite sides of these things. And, uh, and so, uh, so one day, a, a, a fellow asked George Whitfield, this was some time later, he said, uh, we won't see John Wesley in heaven, will we? To which George Whitfield said, no, you're right. We won't see John Wesley in heaven. Now, you stop there, you think. So you think he's lost because he doesn't believe exactly like you, but he went on to say, no, we won't see him in heaven because he will be so close to the throne of grace, the, the Lord Jesus. He'll be so close to the throne and because we'll be so far back away from him that we won't see him. You see, these men had come to understand that even though they had some differences on this, this doctrine, they'd come to see Christ in one another. And uh, Wesley got uh, sick, and uh, George uh, Whitfield, you know, maybe they thought Wesley was going to die, but in fact, George Whitfield died, and Wesley had, had, actually had part in, in George Whitfield's memorial service. They had come to understand and respect and love one another. They saw Christ in one another. They'd come to understand what Jesus is teaching here and how humility humility enables us to guard against and overcome this spirit of exclusivity in our lives. Well, I believe in essence, we could sum up what Jesus is teaching here in a truth that is taught throughout scripture. And that is God's way up is always down. God's way up is always down. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Folks, God hates stinking pride. He hates pride. The word there opposes is he sets himself uh, in, in battle array against it, but he gives grace to the humble. God is attracted by humility. He's attracted to that in his people, and he works with us when we're able to humble ourselves. Jesus told the story of, of two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a very proud religious man. He, he stood in his pride, this, uh, this man. He began to say, God, I'm so glad I'm not like these other men. And he named off a bunch of people, and even like this despised tax collector over here. I'm glad I'm not like them. He started telling all these things that he did. You know, you know, I fast twice a week. I tithe on everything I get. But the other man, the Bible says, stood in the back. And this too is in the Gospel of Luke. And he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He humbled himself before God. And this is what the Lord Jesus said. He said, I tell you, this man, this humble man, went down to his house justified. He went down, he went home right with God rather than the other. The other man went home just like he came in, still proud. But Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
the power of humility. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.